Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. Each week on the show, I have a conversation with guests who are making a difference within their realm of influence in innovative ways. They share their insights based on their experiences, and it is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. The ultimate goal is that we each start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. Good morning. Today we continue our discussion of the seven community capitals as we focus on the seventh and final capital, which is built. My co-host and initiator for this series, Bob Riley Jr., and I believe, and I speak for both of us, that we've been so inspired by the guests we've had conversations with over the past six weeks, and we hope that you have too as our listeners. In review, we've already discussed natural, social, financial, political, human, and cultural capital, and how they collectively play a key role in developing successful community strategies. If you recall, our goal with this series is to dream of an aspirational post-COVID world, where we look for ways to connect and collaborate on positive, practical paths forward. Our guests today have decades of experience in the built arena, and we look forward to the discussion. Joining us are Luis Rico Gutierrez, Dean of Iowa State University's College of Design, and Todd Ashby, Executive Director of the Des Moines Area Metropolitan Planning Organization. Thank you both for joining us today, and I'm going to let Bob start off the discussion. Well, thank you, Lene. Uh, this is Bob Riley coming at you again uh, for uh, what seems to be a, a pretty good series of seven uh, explorations into the community capitals uh, that were developed by uh, our own Neil Flora up at Iowa State University. And um, the one that we're talking about today is, uh, is built capital. Uh, and just to make sure that everyone remembers the that's one of the seven that are necessary to have a sustainable community and uh, they're made up of uh, natural capital social capital financial capital and then we have cultural capital human political and built that kind of wrap around those three that are uh, essential for human endeavors and uh, today we're going to be talking about built capital and if one can imagine that a society uh, that, uh, that doesn't have built capital uh, is probably um, a Neanderthal society that is living in a hollowed out cave, but even that cave is built capital. And so as civilization started down its path, uh, people got together and decided that there were things that were necessary uh, for their community that were beneficial to all and uh, so here we get the polarity of uh, self-interest and common good uh, dealt with. And uh, the, uh, uh, the concept of putting something together that is uh, beneficial for the whole community. 
uh, is something that is kind of near and dear to my heart. And so I have with us Todd and Luis that uh, are well-schooled in this concept. And um, I'd like to start out by asking uh, them to give us, and I'm gonna start with Todd first, uh, when you think of the planning that comes forward uh, from the MPO, how, how do you uh, put that together, uh, thinking in terms of that common good with, uh, without having uh, the concern for benefiting one group and not another? Well, that's a good question, Bob. Uh, you have to do a lot of uh, looking at uh, how how the impacts you're going to have on on you know the different uh, localities, the different uh, groups that you may have a project going through, uh, the benefits that they'll each receive, and uh, try to weigh those against um, any potential costs that um, whether that's a financial cost or an equity cost or or, or something like that, and um, trying to balance those as best you can uh, on making sure the improvement hits all the right notes. Uh, Luis, I think you've got some interesting concepts having to do with the equity portion of uh, built capital. Can you give us a little bit of idea on that? You're on mute. Uh, thanks, uh, Bob, and uh, it, it, is a, it is a great question. I think we need to understand that every action that we take uh, has a structural component and a meaning, you know, and sometimes impact. We need to, to think about it from the two dimensions, you know. Uh, uh, one thing may be right structurally, but the meaning of the action, you know, may also have have an impact that we need to account for. So for me, you know, whenever we think about all these different things, all the capitals and what we do in the built environment, access is a key question for me right now. I mean, uh, who will, uh, we can design the most sustainable environment, but if the, the, the access to that um, environment is exclusive, uh, uh, in a way, then then the impact is completely minimized. So I think access is a, it should be at the forefront of many of our conversations right now. When you think of uh, uh, planning, uh, and both of you are in the planning business, you have to have a really long horizon. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an idea of how far out you have to go and how encompassing those plans need to be of many of the other capitals that we dealt with. I think you 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 touched on that, Todd, when they, and Louise, when you think in terms of access. But you know, in terms of uh, political capital, human capital, financial capital, social capital, all those other capitals are affected by built capital. Can you delve into that a little bit more? Sure, I'll I'll, I'll take a shot at it, Bob. Um, uh, our Entities, you know, our entity looks at plans that are both, you know, immediate projects that are happening right now and the cost of that and how they impact um, the built environment right now. But then we also do things at 5, 10, 50 years out and how those are impacting uh, people, uh, the environment. We do a lot of, you know, a lot of transportation projects uh, affect the environment in different ways, whether that's um, uh, watersheds or, um, tree canopies, those type of things. Uh, natural prairie uh, can be impacted as well on certain transportation projects. Uh, so you look at those things as well as the built environment you're going through. Um, and then also this, the um, um, the capital cost, you know, how's, how's that money being spent and could it be spent 
are you getting enough return or could it be spent in a, another way that would provide a better return? So it's balancing a lot of those uh, different different ideas. Uh, you know, Bob, it's, it's interesting to think about the, the, the build capital and the permanence that it has over time. So every plan that we make is just a moment where we, we uh, uh, when we stop, reflect on where we are, and we actually shift direction. But that doesn't mean, you know, that the planning stops. You know, I think we're making decisions in every point. You know, we, uh, the best decision we can make with the information that we have uh, at hand, but we can only make it perfect if we keep working on those and being willing to rectify uh, afterwards. So, so I just uh, thought that it's absolutely right. You know, I mean, this this traditional frameworks of the five, ten. Uh, 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 20 years, the medium, uh, short, medium, and long term are important. But I think we need to understand that there is um, that it is a process. That that every time the context is going to change, and we'll have to rectify and keep doing that. That is where the perfect plan is. You know, in that capacity of of uh, uh, being uh, flexible and, and and change directions. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you're going to always be making adjustments as you go along. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking back uh, over some history, and um, I believe it's the El Camino Real, which is the most famous path in uh, in Spain, uh, is thousands of years old, and it is the precursor for highways and towns that uh, came from that uh, pathway, and so the things that we are dealing with today are the results of, you know, the wanderings of a cow 400 years ago, uh, or a buffalo, or bison. So uh, can you tell, a little, tell us a little bit about how we take those historic things that have been done before and either redirect or continue on the same path or adjust in some way to make it fit our society today? Um, let me talk to you in mind, you know, take yeah. a, you know, at least provide a little bit of context, you know. You know, I think about the world, uh, Bob, as a, as a vinyl, as a record. You know, you remember maybe, depending on the age of the audience, some will be more familiar with, you know, those little flat discs of plastic that we mm -hmm. use to uh, record and reproduce music. And, and actually, if you think about the seven capitals, the build capital has this recording function, you know, where everything else, our culture, in essence, is that needle that modifies the surface of the world. You know, and actually whatever we know, all that we know as a society is recorded and embedded in, in, in the built capital. So the question is actually that, that you're asking is how do we reproduce this? You know, I think we're good at modifying, you know, how do we retrieve the information, all the lessons of the past to use it and, and move toward the, the, the future? And that's where, you know, um, um, planners, you know, like Todd, you know, that's what they're trained on. And trying to understand those lessons from the past, incorporate new knowledge, incorporate modern trends uh, uh, in, in culture, in society, in technology, in what we know about environmental issues, and try to modify the direction of that uh, uh, into uh, into the future. So uh, again, you know, Todd, it's, it's fascinating. You know, your work, you know, the long-lasting impact that it has is is is, is impressive. Yeah, I would agree that yeah we're we're looking at the lessons from the past and how do we modify those to better serve the the current and future um, uses and people uh, how they can use the system, 
and technology is starting to, in, in the transportation world, technology is really uh, changing how you address transportation, uh, whether that be uh, um, just the information technology to just show how you can more easily get from point A to point B uh, using uh, uh, smart technologies on how to find your way or where a parking spot is uh, so you're not driving around forever to look for a parking spot or something like that. Um, uh, drones uh, coming into play, um, how that's going to change shipping for a lot of things. So you won't have as hopefully as many trucks on the road, so you're not using up a carbon footprint as well. Uh, so there's a lot of things you have to consider moving forward on how, how all these systems are going to be interacting with the environment and the human environment as well as the built environment. And if I may jump in with a question quick. Given, given weather events recently how how are you building in resilience to the built environment and the you know urban planning and all of that because there's so much in the future that is unknown that yeah. that you have to kind of plan for in the best way possible of with what you know now right yeah um, you know on, on the transportation side you know, we have such a huge impact on, on uh, storm water. Uh, when you put a lot of pavement out, where does that water go and how fast does it get there? So a lot has been done in recent years on stormwater detention and how you hold that water in place and slow it down so it doesn't create these flash events as the climate has uh, seemed to have changed where we get a lot of heavier rain events uh, re- you know, more recently than we used to. Um, and more frequently, so you, you got to be able to hold that water somehow, and, and so it's bringing those planning of those elements into the, the design of a project, and uh, and also working with with communities on how they can best manage stormwater. Um, so there's been a number of groups, and you may have talked about this in previous sessions on how we deal with stormwater and different strategies that we're using and making make it not only on a community level but on an individual individual property level how they can. Uh, change some of the with rain gardens and and changing some of the soils to hold that water in place so just an example of some of the things we start looking at and that's kind of how the uh, natural capital and the built capital kind mm-hmm. of intersect there exactly for me the interesting part of this conversation is a recent trend in thinking uh, not so much anymore on human-centered design but uh, biocentric design mm-hmm. and then recognize that is not only humans, you know, right. that is all forms of life, of life, the ones that are at the center. You know, 500 years ago, Galileo reminded us that, or told us that the, the world is not the center of the universe. It's just, it, it's taking a little bit longer for humans to recognize that, you know. Yeah. And by the way, when we talk about resiliency, the world is very good at reminding us, you know, that it's about all of us and that we actually uh, overstep, you know, there's going to be a consequence for so I think this idea of thinking about the ecosystem as a whole when we're doing planning as opposed to just the needs of humans is going to be a really important trend in the future if we're going to be successful. So. Yeah. Well, that gets me to ask about another question. And I, uh, I've i been a big fan of biomimicry because I think that uh, a planet that's been, uh, you know, in a natural system putting together uh, various uh, uh, systems with for the last four and a half billion years has made a few mistakes and has probably adjusted for them uh and i think 
you know, we've got a pretty good system that uh, we could use as a model. How much do you incorporate what I'll refer to as biomimicry into your systems? We're just really uh, at the MPO starting to, to get into those type of discussions. Um, you know, the institution of building roads and bridges takes a little while to, to turn that, that ship to look at not the the straight engineering way to solve those problems. And, and we've made a lot of progress in that, but there's still ways to go. But I, I think those discussions are, are, are evolving for our organization. I, I think, uh, Bob, for me, the important is to understand the system and how it matches, you know, with, uh, with what it means. Again, you know, the issue of biomimicry and then how it matches our culture and how it becomes, you know, built environment is, is, is probably the most important question right now. There are a lot of lessons that are embedded in, in, in how our uh, systems have, uh, uh, have evolved. And maybe I will just respond to the question saying, you know, I think we need to question everything all the time. You know, this idea, uh, you know, for, um, uh, uh, for many of us, you know, the answer is dictated by our background and the things that we know how to do. And sometimes the answer is not a bigger pipe. <laughs> Maybe mm. sometimes the answer is to eliminate the pipe at all, you know, to go <laughs> back to first principles yeah. you know, and ask the question again. Yeah, is there a different way to do something? Yeah, I agree. So I have to zoom in to a question that came up the other day when we were talking about something, and it had to do with the, uh, uh, the design of the Des Moines Freeway. Uh, that was, I believe, done in the early 50s or somewhere in that time frame. And there was an, uh, there were two routes that were going to be uh, offered to people, and uh, one of them was uh, a stripe right through the middle of town, and uh, it which, uh, bifurcated the African-American community. And the other was uh, one that ended up uh, south of downtown, and that was uh, thrown out. They didn't consider that. Uh, of course, 50 years later, we just put in a new freeway-type product, the MLK extension, um, you know, multi-lane uh, concrete strip through the south side of Des Moines, which uh, some would say, well, that kind of duplicates the uh, freeway that we have today. Would we build the present freeway if we had it to do today? And if not, what would we do? I would guess we probably wouldn't have built it the way we did um, today um, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, environmental justice and equity uh, probably being uh, come to mind as to the leading ones and just the cost now. Um, you would look for an area that may not have that high of cost to buy the right of way, um, given that the, the neighborhoods would have built up over time. Um, we would have looked at an alternative to that or, or an alternative way to move people and goods uh, instead of building an, a whole new freeway. Uh, is there another way we can move those um, vehicles in a different way or not even vehicles? Is there some other way to move people? So. Um, I don't think we would have done the same thing today that we did 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Going back to the the seven capitals framework, you know, I think we understand now that that kind of investment 
in the seventh capital you know, resulted in this investment <laughs> or uh, uh, you know to the it was it, they were made at the debt to the detriment of uh, some of the others you know, the human capital social capital all those different things suffer because of the disinvestment so at the end of the day you know the framework we're asked us to do is to find the balance and mm-hmm. I think you know we have better tools now to, to evaluate definitely uh, well that begs I'm sorry that begs the question of uh, uh, the whole freeway system throughout the United States has allowed us to get out of the inner city and move to the suburbs yeah. so we've we've had this phenomenal shift in our society for what reason, I'm not sure. And now we're saying, well, maybe we should go vertical instead of horizontal. And instead of spreading out and having sprawl with a donut hole in the middle, we should build up that donut hole. What's what's in the future for uh, distribution of people in a metropolitan area? Well, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, to cost, um, besides the equity issues, but uh, just the cost of building out infrastructure and then maintaining what you, the existing infrastructure, you, you reach this breaking point that we can't keep going out. We've got to do something different, and that will lead communities to start infill and going up. I think um, you know the United States has has had a wealth of resources and lots of land. Um, when you look at our our compatriots in, the, in in Europe or other countries, they don't always have that that available access to you know, empty land so they go up um, and, and make it development more dense so um, just th- those cost factors I think are going to start playing into those decisions and uh, actually the interesting thing about what you were saying uh, um, uh, Bob is you you can parallel the evolution of technology and transportation with the evolution of the transportation system in the United States and uh, uh, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting you know, to see we're, we're in the middle of a breakthrough in new transportation systems mm-hmm. and how it is going to uh, evolve. In fact, we're facing the question, is the infrastructure even uh, um, the, the right one, uh, relevant, uh, useful uh, uh, in the future? And how are we going to cope uh, with this? You know, in the face of self-driving cars uh, uh, and potential, uh, even beginning to think about other modes of transportation, uh, that's that's going to be a critical critical question. The other thing to take into consideration is why do we move? You know, for example, the technology that we're using. I think there is there is in the future a p- potential for other uh, areas of the uh, of the country uh, to develop based on quality of life and sustainability because you know you can telecommute instantly to other places and still you know find the place that connects with you personally better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're beginning to see those uh, uh, those impacts. Right I mean, right now, for example, Google uh, sees the opportunity. Uh, COVID nineteen sees COVID nineteen as an accelerator of these workplace uh, uh, innovations. And I don't think they're going to invest more in the big campus. In fact, they're probably going to invest more on uh, distributing talent. You know, I mean, can you live in Des Moines? You know, work for Google because you know the quality of life in the morning is better than in Palo Alto or San Francisco. And is that still, you know, a, a good way of conduct businesses? So I think we're in a really interesting time in regards to the future of infrastructure because these things that were very theoretical just two years ago, I'm not going to go more than that, two mm-hmm. years ago, you know, right now are realities that have been tested you know, and, and, and we'll see where they go. So. Yeah, definitely. And now it leads to this, how do we equitably get broadband access to, to more people because uh, 
right now that doesn't isn't very equitable in where broadband exists. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let Bob. This is our wrap up round, so I'm going to let Bob kind of lead us into that lightning round, if you will, where we share our final words of wisdom. Well, uh, one of the things that we didn't get to that I will broach in my lightning round is the interaction between uh, the planning process and the thought that needs to go into being very future-oriented to see what effects are going to happen in 50 or 100 years from the decisions we make today and integrating that with the political and human and social capital who are mostly thinking in terms of next week. And how do you get those two lined together? Because uh, if you've got a short horizon on your, uh, in your mind, uh, you're not thinking about what's going on a long time from now. And there is so much political pressure being put on uh, what we do next. How do you educate them to think strategically and systematically about the future? That's a rhetorical question because I don't think we have time to answer. (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I think you have to build in enough uh, benefit in the short term for those, you know, people making decisions in, you know, the week or months or even the year uh, to lay the foundation for those blocks that will build out to the five, 10, 50, 100 year time frame. So you're getting their buy-in on, on, on some things that you're laying down for the future. Um, I would also uh, add to that that we need to expand the, the audiences that, that we um, speak with. I, I think is, is, uh, is we sometimes uh, take for granted the capacity of multiple groups, you know, to participate in these conversations and make informed decisions if, they, if, if we have the patience and we take the time, you know, to work with them. I think there's untapped resources, for example, in engaging more and more youth, for example, in planning processes, you know, that by definition have that long-term uh, uh, view uh, uh, of the world. I think we'd have untapped resources in uh, uh, groups that have been traditionally marginalized from decision-making process because they see the world differently. So I think we need to take some time to expand the audiences that are incorporated in the in the decision-making process because it will just make it richer. You know, I mean, there is richness in our differences and we need to build on that. So. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. We love dogs. All right. Well, thank you all very much for your for the discussion today and to Bob for leading this. Um, as always, we encourage our listeners to engage where you're at and, and do your part to, to see where you might plug in to communities in all the levels of the, of the capitals. Uh, next week, Bob and I are going to, and we may have to split this out, we were just talking, we, it may take a few weeks for us to summarize what we've been discussing in regards to the seven capitals. But we'll let you know. We hope you continue to tune in. Until then, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you very much. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. 
These are challenging times, but I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.